The R&B Solutionist Thinking Podcast Series for the creative minds with a passion for possibility. Hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Today's Solutionist Thinker has a BSc in Human Kinetics and Ergonomics. She headed up hospitality for FIFA headquarters during both the 2009 Confederations Cup and 2010 FIFA World Cup. Well, what she does today has got absolutely nothing to do with that. Stacey Brewer is fomenting a quiet revolution in education. She's the co-founder of Spark Schools. Now, 90% of people will talk about South Africa's broken education system. They'll throw a statistic around that South Africa spends the biggest proportion of its national budget of any country in the world on education. And according to the World Economic Forum, we have the worst outcomes, particularly when it comes to the crucial subjects of maths and science. They will also tell you that 78% of children at grade 4 level can't read with any discernible level of comprehension. It's a crisis, it's broken, and the future is bleak. That is the popular belief. Either that or it's a massive opportunity for somebody who thinks about solutions to problems rather than being overwhelmed by the problems themselves. I didn't realize how bad education was, how much money we were spending as a country. And from there, I did my thesis on this low-fee private school movement that you've seen internationally, and really the ball just didn't stop rolling. I'm Bruce Whitfield, and you are listening to Solutionist Thinking, brought to you by RMB. Stacey Brewer has conceptualized a new kind of education model. Why? The education status in South Africa is dire, and I believe it's up to us as citizens of the country to create the change. We actually don't have time to wait for government to improve the status quo. So I believe what we can do at Spark can really revolutionize the way education is run, both locally in South Africa and internationally. And the way we are able to do it is through a blended learning model, which is technology that's been integrated into the schooling system that allows us to drive cost efficiencies in order to be affordable. So we provide education at the same price as government, but at the same time, it drives quality in terms of creating a very data-rich environment, which allows us to differentiate our instruction. Where does the technology come from? So we source the technology internationally. It really is content providers, um, and we look for the best. And a lot of it is the back end in terms of what data it produces. But the content or the software providers allow an individualized path um, for each individual child for them to master basic objectives. And as the children get older, um, there's different um, offerings in terms of Google Classroom that focuses a lot more on project-based learning. So textbooks have been completely removed from our learning model. So your kids arrive at school in the morning and either access their digital device left in the classroom overnight or bring it from home? So we don't expect each child to bring their own device at all. We've got all the devices at school. It's part of the school fees that the parents pay monthly. But in terms of our foundation phase, which is grade R to three, the children move in and out of a learning lab where they're interacting with adaptive software, and that's where they are online. And then in terms of our flex model, which is grade four to seven, they will be moving, rotating, each on an individual path, um, where one of the modalities of learning is also the online space. Okay. 
This is the South African government curriculum. This is the state curriculum that you're following. So we aligned to the national curriculum. What does aligned to mean? Because that's so, not the national curriculum. So we aligned to the national curriculum in terms of expectations, but then extend based on international expectations. So a really basic example would be in grade R, it's only expected for our children to count to 10, where our children can count to 100. So they absolutely meet the basic requirements nationally, but then we extend on what's required internationally, and they are required to count to 100 um, in grade R internationally. Some kids are great at numbers, some kids are great at language, some kids are great at art. How do you then blend all of these kids into a single classroom experience, a single classroom environment where some will excel in some areas and some at others. So in terms of our learning models, so we have two learning models, um, foundation phase, we have a lab rotation, and then a, for our intermediate phase, we have a flex model. In the lab rotation, a basic example could be that the child gets introduced to a concept, let's say basic addition, in the classroom, and then they go into the learning lab. In the learning lab, they then log on to software, and so, for example, in this maths example, it's ST Math, and straight away the program knows where that they logged off previously, and then they log back on, and it will extend their them based on their needs. In some cases, children really struggle with some basic objectives. Then we give them additional tutoring or they are able to proceed at their own path. You and I, would have, you would have sat in the front of the class. I would have sat <laughs> at the back of the class. Um, and the teacher would have said, oh, clever, Stacey understands three plus three is six. Bruce at the back is still figuring out what the plus means. Um, what this advantage is, is that the teacher immediately knows that Bruce doesn't understand the difference between his pluses and his minuses. Um, and that allows a direct and speedy intervention. You're 100% correct, Bruce. No child can be left behind or even fall between the cracks, um, as well as we won't hold any kids back in terms of their level of proficiency. If they start moving to a grade four, grade five level, even if they're in grade two or three, we absolutely allow them to do so. And we, we are seeing, we can be tracking this data weekly. We could track it daily, um, but we think that's too much. And we look at it on a weekly basis and we absolutely know where every single child is. And then we track their progress over the year. And, and yeah, absolutely no, no child will be able to hide behind the scenes or be left behind and then children can be extended. Tell me about the level of acceptance that you've got then in, so clearly in society, because you're educating at the moment in nearly 20 schools, about 6,000 kids. This is a business that has grown from one school in five years to nearly 20 campuses and 6,000 children. It's an extraordinary growth rate. So clearly public acceptance in the areas where you have schools, physical campuses, has been positive. The acceptance of this learning model has been extremely positive and that's why we've been able to grow at the rate that we have. Um, we've been educating the families around blended learning. So right at the beginning we didn't really speak about ourselves being a blended learning school because it was just such a foreign concept, so unknown. But over time having these schools established we're showing them and educating families and the children on what we're doing and then that's just word of mouth that's enabled us to open more schools. How hard was it in that first year? In the first year before Spark even launched, it was extremely hard. We had no credibility. We had no track record. It was just a couple of people with great ideas, um, you know, from raising money to recruiting families to recruiting staff members was extremely hard. But we really focus on building our relationships with families, with staff in order to obviously get to, into the school and then open the school. And over time, it's definitely got a lot easier because there's many ambassadors now and really speaking about Spark and how it's changed 
change their life. Take me back to doing kinetics and ergonomics. I mean, this is a million miles away from that. You did your undergrad at Rhodes University. When you went to Gibbs, which is where you did your MBA and where you first assaulted me at, at a Gibbs function and said, one day you're going to interview me. And I went, please just leave me alone. I'm having a glass of wine. And within six months, Spark Schools was born. Did you go into Gibbs with this idea or did the idea sort of emerge while you were doing your MBA? The idea for Spark definitely emerged during the MBA. I was doing my MBA in order to get a master's to then go overseas and get a decent job in inverted commas. And my life completely changed during the MBA. I didn't realize how bad education was and how much money we were spending as a country. And from there, I did my thesis on the slow fee private school movement that you've seen internationally. And really, the ball just didn't stop rolling. Um, I didn't have anything to lose right from the beginning. I was very fortunate to have a lot of support and mentors to keep it going but it it was absolutely nothing that I intended when I started my MBA. I didn't even see myself as an entrepreneur but when I did the MBA seeing the opportunity and how we could create this change, it was a no-brainer for me. And Ryan Harrison, your business partner um, in the holding company which is called E-Advance were you in the same MBA class? Did you Were you sitting in, in one of the groups one morning and you looked at each other and was just like we should do this. So I've known Ryan for a while. We were at Rhodes University together and he did the MBA above me. Um, and basically, I, I'm not good on the tech side. And I just said to Ryan, would he be interested to come with me to the US to see some of the real pioneers in blended learning? And then he said, sure, let me you know, come and see what we can do. When we came back, he said, I absolutely want to be involved in this full time. And then that's when the journey really started together. Had either of you had a proper job before this? I mean, you'd been to university, you were doing your MBA. Had you had careers before this? Ryan had more of a career overseas um, in terms of also an IT and systems side. For me, I'd mainly been in hospitality, mm. um, but working with high end either organizations or individuals, but it wasn't a long-term career, I'd probably have an experience about three to four years, but I've never had corporate experience. And I think in many ways that's good. They say that's maybe it, I haven't been conditioned in a certain way. So, How have, much harder then does it make it to build a corporate? Because you have to have a corporate structure, surely, starting a, a brand new business mm -hmm. in five years from scratch to understand how this monster as it morphs and grows and you're employing more and more people you've got more and more responsibility in terms of the kids and their families and we know mm. parents are often the biggest problem in any uh, schooling system there are a lot of dynamics to manage there's a huge amount of dynamics to manage and um, right from the get-go, we've been very fortunate in the team that we've had around us um, to help support building the structure. I mean, this year we've hired a, a CFO from a really big international corporate who's coming, bringing in more processes, procedures, internal controls. And this, the, this is the year of corporatizing, I say to the team, in order for us to really scale. If, you know, we're saying 15 schools this year, 21 schools next year, it's still not enough. We're still not really a blimp on the radar. But if we're serious about real big scale, we've got to corporatize. We've got to make sure that we've got the right systems and procedures in place to support the growth. So you've got great societal support. The, the word of mouth is leading to this growth, that by the beginning of 2019, there will be 21 campuses. And then you're looking within 10 years from startup, you were looking at 65 schools. Um, and you look at just the growth of Curo, for example, and how its own growth surprised it completely. Are you being surprised constantly by your own growth trajectory, or is it according to a great and well-thought-out plan? 
So, Bruce, right at the beginning, we definitely exceeded expectations. I mean, in our original business plan, we only had, uh, well, we were only going to open our second school in 2015, and we launched our first school in 2013. 2015, we had four schools. So, and I mean, I'm absolutely blown away of what we've been able to do in a short space of time. Um, and I, the team continues to surprise me on how we're able to deliver this quality at this price point and the way we're coming up with different ways of thinking and getting smart on how we do things. Do you ever want to pull on the reins and drag everybody in and say, hold on a second, let's just for one week not do anything new. Let's not, let's not <laughs> open another. Let's not allow one more kid into a school just for a week just to calm down a little bit and see where we are. I'm a person that never likes the status quo, so I'm always pushing, and if something's working, I'm saying, okay, so how do we do it better? Um, which I'm, can be frustrating but exciting also at the same time. We, uh, we've changed our strategy in a small way because we're moving from a startup within the last five, six years now into um, growth um, and to real scale-up. So we're not opening any more schools in 2020. We're just growing organically through our existing school base, and then we're opening schools again from 2021. And then from there, plus it will be serious growth as we just consolidate, get the house in order, ready for the next stage of growth. What about state acceptance? for this because you can't just operate a school you have to be regulated and licensed and you you, you, we can't just have a wild west of education how uh, is this model being taken by the state so to date our relationship with government has been really good um they really like what we do especially in terms of our price point and our quality and you've got to follow normal regulations with registration of schools like everybody else and we don't take any government subsidies but the government have recognized and acknowledged what we're doing i mean a few years ago, Paniyaz Lusufi mentioned Spark in his budget speech in terms of the way we use technology and, you know, there's lessons there. And, and then he went through a process of handing out um, digital devices and they got they disappeared and got stolen and got smashed and schools got broken into and things got stolen. It's the brutal reality of, of, of an unequal society in which we live and Absolutely. it's one of those consequences. Um, but when you take the model and this idea that actually everybody can learn better at a budget and can be advanced far more quickly than in a traditional rote learning school environment, surely that has got to have some traction within a public system. Absolutely, Bruce. Our idea is to be engaging more and more with government, um, and that's one of my top priorities over the next few years. I mean, if there was ever a type of public-private partnership, as you see in the U.S. and charter schools, academies in the U.K., we absolutely will be in the ideal position to do so. Explain one of those models to me so we get a better idea. So a charter school or academy basically is it's publicly funded and privately run. Um, and if we had this opportunity to have that type of setup in South Africa, it would be fantastic. You are seeing some type of pilots in Western Cape in terms of collaboration schools, but it's still very early um, days. But over time, we would love to be more involved um, with government. And it means that we'll be able to reach a lot more communities. How can this change the country? How can your Spark Schools blended learning model change the country within five years? Bruce, I believe our model can completely leapfrog South Africa as a country in terms of being competitive internationally. I mean, if you've seen what we are doing at our price point and delivering an internationally competitive education, it's game-changing. And I don't believe just for the South African community, but internationally, we are starting to influence the way education models are evolving. 
And that for me is so exciting. We really can be seen as a thought leader. And our vision at Spark is South Africa leads global education. And I believe if we've got Spark and the likes, you know, other people really pushing innovation and education in South Africa, we can really leapfrog us as a country and not have to wait many years to catch up to the rest of the world. What's the end game for Spark schools? Do you list this on the JSE? I mean, do you take this to the NASDAQ at some point to raise proper Mm. money? to do a carpet bombing, if you like, Mm. of education. Bruce, as you mentioned, to open schools, it is. It's very expensive. We've got no immediate plans for listing. Um, We are moving towards growth capital, as I've mentioned. So it's far bigger funds that will be investing in Spark for us to open many more schools. But there could be a potential listing within the next, say, 10 years. We've got no immediate plans for it. But we need to make sure that we're opening more schools and reaching more communities. You've got lots of private investors. You've got individuals who have, with some, take more work than others to convince. But private individuals have committed quite a lot of money into the system. Now, at some point, some of those will want to get out. Others will want to come in. You do, I'm sure, need some decent private equity investment. However, at some point to get the scale that you want. Yeah, we need to start getting growth capital as you know, mm. what as we refer to it, um, which it would be private equity or the likes, um, or looking at other strategic type of partnerships um, to grow. And that would give an opportunity for our current um, angel investors, seed capital um, investors, just to exit and then bring on new growth capital. And we are heading towards that within the next year or so. Does it ever scare you? I mean, as the saying goes, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. I love challenges. I love being uncomfortable. Um, you know, if I'm in comfort, I get bored. So I'm always thinking, okay, what is the next big thing? What is, what is Spark 2.0, for example? And that's one of my big challenges is how do we start breaking industry norms in terms of the cost effectiveness of education models internationally? But no, it's, it's what I live for. It's, I absolutely thrive in this situation and I'm c- constantly pushing for bigger and greater change. And six years ago, sitting in your MBA class, would you ever imagine that this was the path that you were going to take? Bruce, this was absolutely not the path that I thought would happen. I mean, right at the beginning, I was just excited to start one school, and now we're running 15 to 21 schools next year. It's been the hardest and best thing I've ever done, um, and I would do everything again. And I'm very excited for what the next, say, five to 10 years looks like. I mean, if we've already exceeded expectations in the last five, six years, I'm, yeah, probably a bit scared what it looks like going forward, but we've got to embrace what's out there. Do you hit that 65 school goal? By within the ten year within the ten years, eh? so we haven't hit we haven't hit that sixty five um, schools within ten years. It, but we did we wanted strategic mm. changes, and I mean we were we were cowboys at the beginning, as all entrepreneurs are. Um, but I believe that the growth path that we've taken now and where we're going in the future is the the most responsible way. Um, in terms of making sure that we still deliver quality at scale. Her name is Stacey Brewer. She is the co-founder, along with her business partner, Ryan Harrison, the techie guy of a business called eAdvance. It's the holding company for Spark Schools, a network of primary schools getting affordable education using technology. And from 2019, they go into the senior school, into high school education, because the kids that started with Spark five years ago are getting to an age where they need to go into a senior school environment. So they found the problem and they're providing the solutions. Today's solutionist thinker, Stacey Brewer. RB Solutionist Thinking. For more in this series, visit 702.co.za.